Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles, your apps, whatever you read on. And today we're going to be where we've been for several weeks. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. Now, if you're not familiar with where 1 John's located, uh, there's a graphic that's going to be up on the screen behind me that gives you some pointers on how to locate 1 John. Uh, so, so if you're not sure how to find it, take a physical Bible, open it up, and follow the directions on the screen behind me. If you have an app, especially the Bible app, we're in the Bible app. Uh, you can open your app uh, and follow the directions on the screen, and you'll be able to follow along with today's message and the passages that we'll be reading from today. So 1 John chapter 4 is where we'll be. We'll leave this graphic up on the screen for a few moments uh, so that you can uh, locate 1 John chapter 4. Now, if you've been around here for very long, you know uh, about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, I fell off my roof and, and I broke my back. I twisted my hip. Uh, I was bedridden for uh, around two months. And one of the concerns, if you've ever been injured or you've had a hospital stay, what are one of the, what's one of the first concerns you may have about what you're going to have to deal with after you get out of the hospital. The bills and the pain and all the things that come with it. And there was a point where as I was weaning off of my pain meds and I became a little more clear thinking would be a good word for it. I recognized that I rode in an ambulance and I stayed in the hospital, and they gave me meds and did lots of tests. And I started to worry a little bit about the bills that were going to come in and how we were going to take care of them. And about a week after I really started thinking about that kind of stuff, we had several people donate money to help me pay for those bills. And all that concern got lifted off of my shoulders. Because of, because of the generosity of people in our lives, you and some of our friends, a great debt was paid in my life. And while it's just money, and we, we would have figured out a way to pay the bills, it was life-changing for my family. So let me say, first off, if you're one of the people that donated food and, and helped us out, I, I, I want to first say thank you. But, but let me explain for just a moment what that did in our lives. You see, my wife and I were able to take a breath of fresh air. We were able to, oh, a sigh of relief when we started receiving some help financially to pay that bill. And as the bills came in, Jana, my wife, was able to say, okay, because of the generosity of others, this is not going to be a burden that's going to hold us back for years and that we're going to have to figure out how to set up a payment plan and do all those things. Because of the generosity of the people in our lives, we're going to be able to take care of these bills. And it freed my family up to continue to live life, basically. It freed us up to just not have to worry, not be concerned. Have you ever had someone pay a great debt for you? Have you ever been in a situation where 
you owed something. And what it was that was owed, that debt that was owed, was somehow paid or forgiven for you? That's what today's passage in 1 John and, and of course, what we did today. That's what we're going to be talking about. So take your Bibles or your apps, uh, and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7. Oh, that's a little typo on the screen behind me. It's verse 7, not 17. Verse 7. I must have typed that in wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. As I've done in the, uh, every week, let me explain what's going on here. 1 John was written by a guy named John. That's why it's named 1 John. John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus after Jesus dies and rises from the grave and ascends into heaven, we stopped calling them disciples and we began calling them apostles. So John is one of the apostles. He's the last remaining apostle. At the point of the writing of this book, all of the other apostles have died a martyr's death. They've been killed by the government, either a city government or the Roman government for their belief in Jesus Christ. So John writes this later in his life, and he's writing it to a group of churches uh, in what is now modern-day Turkey. So, so think the Mediterranean uh, area of the world. Think that far, like, northeast part of the Mediterranean Sea where Turkey is at. That's the region where John is writing to. There are lots of churches uh, seven big churches and lots of smaller churches in that area. And so look at what he says in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, stop there for just a second. Remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I taught about uh, loving one another. Because I, I mentioned then that it was a consistent theme that John repeats throughout 1 John. Well, here we see it again. John repeats this command to love one another at least six times, depending on how you break the passages up. And so he's saying it again here. So now go with me to the next verse, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, Beloved, if God, is, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now let me stop there for just a second. Abide is a relational term. Uh, we use it to, to say that we reside somewhere. But, but in this context, John is talking about abiding being an intimate relationship with someone else. So intimate that abiding means you change your life. You change the way you live because of that relationship. That's why he repeats abide so many times in this passage. Verse 17 by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I mentioned this, the last few verses last week. Talking about when we studied the beginning of chapter 5, how, how John is turning back and he's looking back to God being love and that love should be something we turn and give to one another. If God loved us, we love others, right? That, that's kind of what we talked about last week. It's the ultimate measure of our love for God. So what does the love of God look like though? We've talked about how God loves us and that we in turn are to love one another but how does God love us? We talk about the love of God all the time. I've mentioned it multiple times this morning, right? So what does that love look like? Look with me in verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. Look at what John says here. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The love of God is demonstrated, it's manifested to us by God sending His Son. But I love the line in, at the end of verse 9, so that we might live through Him. The Bible talks about that when we have Jesus in our life, we have life and we have it abundantly. That, that there is joy in the love of Jesus. There's joy in following Him. And that's what John is, is appointing us to right here. Look with me in, in verse 10 now. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, we, we don't truly love God the way God loves us, right? They, God's love is boundless. It is infinite. It, our sin has 
created limitations on how much we're capable of loving. We're, we're bound. We have boundaries. We have limits. We, we have uh, uh, constraints on our capacity to love. A lot of times our love is bound up in our emotional feelings in the moment, right? You know, we may get mad at someone that we know, a friend, a family member, a, a coworker, and while we say we love, if we get mad at them, it gets challenging, right? But here's the thing. When you disobey God, when you do what displeases Him, His love does not diminish even an iota. You could not do enough good or enough bad to change the way God loves you. You know, we talk about it all the time. You can't earn God's love, can you? You can't earn your way into the eternal promise that, that Jesus promises to us when we become followers of Him. We can't earn that. We can't earn salvation, rescue from our sins. But the flip side of that is also true. You can't sin so much that God, God's love for you would be diminished or would decrease or would be challenged. God's love is constant. It's consistent. It's always there. Jesus died on a cross and He did it one time. He will not do it again, right? And I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to unpack this here in just a moment, but when Jesus died on that cross, He took all the sins of the world on Himself. Now imagine, on the earth right now is right at 8 billion people. Imagine all of the sins... For an entire lifetime of 8 billion people. And that's just our current age. Jesus took the sins of all people of all time on Himself. Can you imagine how much sin, how much disappointment, how much disobedience Jesus took on Himself so that He could rescue you, so that He could save you from those sins? And in the midst of that, His love never dropped one point. I can't, I'm not capable of that kind of love. You stab me in the back, my love's going to be affected by that. I'm going to love you a little less, right? You hurt me. You hurt someone I love. My love for you is going to be affected but Jesus isn't like a human, bound by sin's constraints. Jesus never sinned. And because He never sinned, there's nothing we can do that can increase or decrease His love for us. It's infinite. It's boundless. And it's consistent. When we ask the question, what is God's love like? This is what God's love is like. You can't do anything to change His love for you. 
because it's a perfect, infinite love. Now, at the very end of verse 10, in the ESV version, it says this, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation. I don't know what your translation says. Uh, ESV, ASV, uh, NASB, they all say propitiation. And this word is very, very unique in the Greek language. So 1 John was originally written in Greek. And this Greek word is, is very, very interesting. You see, this word in the Greek language meant that when you went to a temple and sacrificed something to whatever God you were worshiping in the Greek world at that time, your offering that you placed, that sacrifice that you were giving to that God, all the things that displeased that God got poured into that sacrifice. So all of the anger of that God, all the wrath of that God, because the Greek gods were wrathful, they were vengeful. Like you wanted to go sacrifice because you were worried that you had made the God mad and that that God was going to destroy your crop or, or level your business. And so you would sacrifice regularly because you needed that wrath, that anger from that God to not come on you. You needed it to go put on someone else or something else. So you'd go give a sacrifice and that wrath, that anger from that God, according to this word, would be placed into the sacrifice instead of upon you. Now, that's not what we believe as Christians, right? That's not what we believe at all. So John uses this term to describe what Jesus did for us on the cross. Propitiation. I love the definition that the English Standard Version Study Bible gives us. It says it's a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. Now I know that I'm stepping on some territory that maybe you're uncomfortable with. Can God have wrath? Can God be wrathful? Yes. Here's the truth. Every single one of us in this room, including the pastor, even Keith, We've all sinned. Especially, Especially Keith. <laughs> you see, we've all disobeyed God. We have broken His perfect laws. Now, imagine that, that you are, are, for one reason or another, you're sitting in a courtroom and standing before the judge is a serial killer that has killed thousands of people. Would it be fair? Would you be satisfied? Would you be happy with the judge if the judge looked at that serial killer and said, you know what? Someone's already paid your prison term, your life sentence, and your death sentence, so I'm going to set you free. Would you be happy about that? Absolutely not. That judge just took a mass murderer and put him back out on the street. Guess what? You and I are the mass murderers. We've broken more laws than we could ever count. I've used the illustration before. If, 
if judgment day is like a courtroom scene, which it kind of might be, who knows? But if judgment day is like a courtroom scene, you're going to stand one day before God and God is going to look at you and say, you are guilty of all of these laws of mine. And he's going to open a scroll. And this is the illustration that I kind of think is interesting to think through. It could happen. I don't know. He's going to open a scroll and that scroll is going to roll down the edge of his desk and off the side and it's going to roll down the floor and it's going to go through the swinging gates and then out the door of the courtroom and it's going to hang a hard right down the hallway of that courtroom, down the stairwell, out the front door of that courtroom, down the sidewalk. It's going to hang another hard right down the street. It's going to go all the way to Interstate 10. And it's going to hang a hard left and go all the way to Los Angeles. And then it's going to take a hard right and it's going to hop onto I-40 and it's going to go all the way across the country down I-40. And then it's going to hop over and it's going to hop on I-30 and it's going to go down the state all the way to Texas. It's going to turn around and cut. You see where I'm going with this? You and I have broken more laws than we could ever track that we could ever keep up with, that we could ever mentally conceive because we're sinners. First John itself, this book tells us that sin is lawlessness, that, that, that we've broken the law. The book of James tells us that sin is every time we know the right thing that we should do and we don't do it, that to us is sin. So imagine all the times that you've not done what God said in His Word and all the times that you knew the right thing you should have done and you didn't do it. Whew. Is anyone starting to feel like there's a lot of weight on you right now? Is anyone else going, this is too much to bear? This is where propitiation comes in. Because imagine that courtroom scene. That scroll with all your sins has rolled all over the country now. And you realize there is no hope for me. And the moment before that gavel drops with a sentence of guilty, Jesus stands up and says, I paid this person's price. I took that death sentence that this person rightly deserves, I already paid it. I died. I paid their death sentence on a cross so that this person wouldn't have to pay that punishment. And while we look at the scenario of a serial killer being let go and, and being free to walk the streets, and we look at that and go, man, that's so unfair. I'm not comfortable with that. It kind of changes when we're the serial killers, doesn't it? When we're the guilty ones and we're forgiven, we're declared innocent. Guys, that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what propitiation is. All of that guilt, all of that shame that we have earned, all of the punishment that we should get because we're criminals, Jesus died on a cross so that we would not have to pay that punishment. He took your sins. He took your crimes. He took your guilt and your shame. And as a propitiation, He took all of that punishment on Himself. He took all of God's wrath 
The Bible talks about in Hebrews how the wrath of God was poured onto and into Jesus in a single moment. And because of that, you are free. You are, as a follower of Jesus, innocent in the eyes of God. That's what propitiation is. That's what Jesus did for you. I don't know about you, but that's love, isn't it? That Jesus gave His life so that I wouldn't have to be the one punished for my crimes. That instead of spending an eternity in punishment and death, I get to spend eternity with Jesus. There's two destinations in this life after you die. Two choices. Either you continue living your life how you want, with, with no propitiation in your life, and you die and there is a place of eternal suffering and death, or... You believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You commit your life to Him and you spend eternal life with Him. No suffering, no pain. A place of perfection. It's your choice. It's your decision to make. You see, today's big idea is pretty simple. I have one point usually in my messages, and I call it the big idea. The big idea is this. We needed rescuing and need rescuing. There's not a person who has ever lived on this planet other than Jesus Himself that does not need to be rescued from their sins. And that process is ongoing throughout our lives. We always need Jesus in our life. We always need His power. We always need His rescue, His salvation. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've never come to a place where you've believed in Jesus as your Savior. And maybe this whole idea of what John says in 1 John 4 about propitiation, about Jesus loving you so much that He took all of your punishment on Himself so that you could be free, you could be declared innocent. Maybe that's something that you want to know more about. Or maybe you want to accept Jesus as your Savior today. If you want to know more, if you want to respond today, uh, there's a couple things I would encourage you to do. First off, if you're interested, grab one of the Connect cards or go to the Contact Us page of our website and give us your information. I'll reach out to you and I would love the opportunity to unpack and answer questions and help you understand what Jesus has done for you to save you from your sins. If you want to talk today, I'll be out in the foyer right after service. I want you to come talk to me. I'll pray with you. I'll talk to you. I'll answer questions. I'll schedule some time to talk more. I would love to help you know how much Jesus loves you and what He's done to save you from your sins. So if you want to know more, Come grab me. Come talk to me. Reach out to us through our website or with a connect card. But John bookends this whole conversation with loving others, doesn't he? He began in verse 7 by saying, let us love one another. And then he ends in verse 21 
This commandment we have for him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He bookends this whole conversation about Jesus' sacrifice, his love for you. He bookends it by saying, love one another. The way I've loved you, love one another. Now that we've got maybe a little more of a glimpse, a little more of a concept of just how much Jesus gave for you, What does that mean about how you're supposed to love others? How should that affect the way you treat one another? How we speak to one another? If Jesus gave his own life, and not just his life, he took a punishment that we cannot conceive. I don't know about you, but I've never taken on the sins of the world. But that must have been excruciating. If that's what Jesus did for you and me, how should we in turn treat one another? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the great sacrifice that he gave so that we could be rescued from our sins. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to wrap our minds and our hearts around that sacrifice. Help us to better understand your love for us in light of what Jesus has done for us. But don't let us be satisfied with just knowing that Jesus died on a cross for us. Help us in light of that sacrifice and, the, and that love Help us in turn to love others the way you love us. Help us to be sacrificial in our love for one another. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, and we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.